Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at NewBalance.com. And just like that, we're back. Another week, far different location, though. Josh Pate here. This is the Late Kick Extra podcast. I'm coming to you from the normally beautiful, but right now rainy and miserable Gulf Coast. I am 15 floors up in a very spacious condo where I've been all day because Tropical Storm, or maybe soon to be Tropical Storm, Cristobal is meandering about the Gulf of Mexico and sending band after band of precipitation our way. And yet I still procrastinated until late at night to record this podcast, but only because, as you would guess, I was trying to get every one of your questions in quickly, the format here, and we're going to get right into it. I went an hour and a half last week and Tani spared my life. So we're going to try to keep it to an hour or less tonight, today, depending on when you're listening. No promises. Here's what we do. I host Late Kick Live on the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel every Thursday night, every Sunday night, 8 Eastern, 7 Central. I get to some questions on that show, but the vast majority I let spill over into the reservoir that we call the Late Kick Extra podcast. We release this every Wednesday. And what I do is I open up my Twitter DMs. I open up my Gmail account, joshpate706 at gmail.com. I open up the email inbox, just like I told you. I guess I didn't need to repeat that again. But most importantly, I look at your five-star reviews. And this is really an Apple podcast, five-star reviews. And then in the written section, the written review section, when you guys submit a question there, that gets bumped right to the front because we prioritize it since it actually gives us traction on a very valuable platform for us. So without further ado or further to do, as one of my buddies I grew up with loved to say, as I stare out of this condo window over a very rainy Gulf of Mexico, let's get started. Dixieland Delight 1226 via the podcast review kicks us off. Which coaches could follow Nick Saban to Alabama? Could they possibly lure Dabo to Tuscaloosa? No, I don't think that's going to happen. I also don't think this is one or two years away. And I will tell you two names that I've stuck with for a couple of years now that I believe are going to be in the running. Not now, because I'm again, I'm telling you, I don't think Nick Saban's going anywhere in the immediate future. So think a couple of years, maybe three, four, five, whatever years down the road with me. Mario Cristobal would be my first choice. He's going to be right there. And Jeremy Pruitt, I believe, is going to be right there. Duke Duke in the podcast review. How much do you think predictions will change once players get in camps? Will there be a surge of useful information or is it all just guesswork until toe meets leather? Well, it is all guesswork anyway. I've got my own little philosophy on how we handle preseason predictions. We do not focus on them to the extent that a lot of other folks do. They do it their way. I do it my way. And the reason that I try and just deliver as much information to you as opposed to 15 different kinds of predictions is number one, I think that's what you're here for, access and information. But number two, there's no skill. Even if you knew everything there is to know about every Power 5 roster out there, four weeks into the season, 20% of those rosters are going to be overturned. 
by anything from injury to suspension to just overall upheaval and roster spots being taken and depth chart spots being taken. So there's no possible way to predict a season. There is a way to say, I think this team's better than this team. But a lot of times, you know, for example, like in, um, in 2014, if you predicted Ohio State to win the national championship in July and they went on to win the national championship, were you right? Well, technically your prediction came true, but did you foresee Ohio State going with a third string quarterback to win the national championship? I'm guessing that you didn't. And so it may have been that you stumbled into a correct prediction, but there's not a lot of skill in it. However, getting back to the question here, once players get into camps, yes, to answer this, there will be a surge of useful information. There will also be a surge in a lot of predictions that are meaningless. So you'll notice on our either this podcast or on Late Kick Live broadcasts, what I'm going to do is give you a whole lot of information because here's what I'm looking forward to. The, the surge, the trickle to stream of information that we would have gotten out of spring ball that we didn't get, we got to make up for that now especially with a lot of guys that are taking in all likelihood starting spots and especially for newcomers, you get a lot of information, you know, think about Georgia. Think about the first few practices at Georgia, Jamie Newman. What does he look like? What does that receiver core look like replacing those offensive linemen? What do they look like? Just that kind of stuff. And you don't get that out of a magazine. You don't get that off of major website. Normally where you get that is guys, the Georgia beat guys or the, uh, Oklahoma State beat guys, guys that are on the ground and girls that are on the ground and cover that team. And if you got access to them and you can shoot them a text and you can give them a phone call and I do it all day. I work those sources all day. That's where you can get your information that may give you a little bit of an edge. Will in the podcast review, is it possible Notre Dame could join the ACC Coastal? I think it'd give us a cakewalk to the ACC title game. Well, maybe right now it would, Will. I don't know how that may overturn itself any given two or three year cyclical period redundancy. But I don't think Notre Dame is joining a conference until Notre Dame has to join a conference. Now that sounds like I'm telling you, I don't think they're going to do it until someone forces them to. I don't think it's going to be that way. There's not going to be this collection of conference commissioners and presidents that say, all right, you got to join now or you're done. I know sometimes you hear coaches say it, Coaches don't mean anything. In this conversation, a coach's opinion is irrelevant. Nick Saban and Dabo Swinney and Lincoln Riley and Ryan Day and Kirby Smart and Clay Helton, they could all come to a table and pen an open letter saying, hey, we think it's time for Notre Dame to join a conference. Wouldn't mean anything. Now, if Greg Sankey came to the table or John Swafford came to the table, or Bob Bowlesby came to the table, and I'm mentioning conference commissioners now, or if major college presidents started coming to the table, those are the names that have a lot more cachet in this conversation. And if they were to all tell um, Jack Swarbrick, yeah, we need you to join a conference, it would carry more weight. Ultimately, it's his decision. But when I tell you they're not going to do it until they're forced to, I'm telling you they're going to have to see themselves get cost a seat at the college football playoff table from not being in a conference for them to join a conference. It's really that simple. You can dial out the scenarios that would have that take place, but that's what's got to happen. All right. Great to be a Gator 98. That's the poster here again in the podcast review section. 
If you were the number one prospect coming out of high school, you could pick your position and program. Where would you go? I would be a quarterback and I would play for Oklahoma. That's the shortest answer I'm probably going to give in this podcast. Next, also from the podcast review, they took all the names 769. I love I the creativity. Josh, did you ever play football? Where? How long? What position? I sure did. I was a star center and safety for the Edgewood Red Devils of Columbus, Georgia, Pee Wee League. And when I tell you a star, guys, I mean, I was a star. As big a star as you can be before they make you put on helmets. I got more into baseball, and uh, baseball has always been my first love. And I went down the baseball path, and um, it's a story that would take like five hours. But by the time I got out of high school, I had a little period there that, of course, you regret later in life. But I had a little period there where I just wasn't loving sports all that much. And so I didn't pursue a college career. I had offers from colleges. I could have gone and played college baseball on scholarship. I didn't. And I didn't play football either. And of course, you look back and you say, oh, I wish I would have played football into high school. I just I was not passionate about it at the time playing. I was always passionate watching it, still am, obviously. But I did start to rechannel a lot of my efforts towards learning to observe the game over just watching the game. Because I always knew I wanted to get into this line of business. I just didn't know exactly how I was going to. And I knew that you're putting yourself maybe on more of an uphill battle if you don't play. But I never have viewed it as a requirement. You see, if you'll notice, I understand my limitations you will never hear me break down plays at an X's and O's level on this show or on our show on the YouTube channel. You'll never hear me do it. You'll also never hear me question play calling. You will never hear me question personnel decisions. And I'm going to tell you why. I think a lot of you should heed this advice and this philosophy. You don't, but that's fine. I don't do it because I know I'm not qualified to. Now, I can talk about the sport. I can talk about the different facets of the sport and aspects of the sport that don't have so much to do with the overall football operations and the way that you actually run a program and design a defense and call an offensive play. But there are certain areas where I know I have no business walking into. And that's the way we do it. Uh, Let's see, Josh, love the name, in the podcast review section. (laughs) I knew this was coming. I told you guys, I mean, I've hinted at this before, so I knew this question was coming. Josh asks me, Josh, you've mentioned train hopping before. Please elaborate. Well, first, I need all of you to pinky promise that this stays between us. All right, there's the pinky. Okay. It's really fun. It's illegal. I don't recommend it. I certainly can't go into great detail, but it's really fun. Really, really fun. I've always had a fascination with freight trains, not passenger trains, just freight trains. And I... It sounds very nerdish, but that's okay. As I said a couple of shows ago, we all got some nerd in us. I don't care. You have it somewhere inside of you. Now, some may be more readily apparent than others, but everyone's got it. Mine's always been trains. I don't apologize for it. I'm certainly not um, embarrassed or shy to talk about it. But the reason I've always had a fascination with freight trains, it's going to sound weird, but I promise you this is how I feel. Ever since I was a kid, I don't think this way all the time, but just with trains, when I would see a freight train go by like a manifest freight train, which is fancy rail lingo for just a bunch of different cars. It's not like a train full of just tanker cars. It's a bunch of different cars. You got box cars, flat ones, et cetera. So I would look at that 
And I would always think about being in a food court at the mall, Peachtree Mall there in Columbus. I would always think about being there and I would look at a train go by and I would say, this is kind of like standing in that food court because none of these cars look the same, just like the people in the food court. They all look different. They're all coming from a different location. They're all headed to a different location. And you have no clue what's inside those cars, just like really with a person, you have no clue what's inside their mind, inside their heart. And you're never going to see 99.9% of those people again. Now, you think I'm making that up. But again, I promise you, that's always been my fascination with trains. They are metaphorical to people, groups of people. So that's part one that fascinated me about trains and why I've always loved them. Number two, just the sheer engineering aspect. Number three, the ability to haul that much freight and organize it from China all the way to Baltimore. And number four, the adventure side of it is really cool. And there are portions of this country that are only accessible by rail. I don't necessarily mean, you know, riding in a coach car on Amtrak. I mean, especially if you do it out West, which is one of my goals, there are areas cutting through the Rocky Mountains, cutting through Montana, Idaho. There are no roads. It's just rail where you're going. So there are areas of this country you could only see if you were, in this case, doing something illegal, being on a freight train. If you if, Unless you're going to devote your life to becoming an engineer, that's the way you got to do it. So yeah, I've, um, I've been known to do that a time or two. More go in the pod review asks, uh, hey, well, you ask something I got to pause on. Morgo said, name your top college football players at quarterback, running back, wide receiver, and safety. This is something I'm going to do. I'm asking the question because you put it in the podcast review section, and I always tell you, if you put it there, it's getting read. I'm bumping this one a little bit closer to the season. I want to hear some things from some people before I do a glorified college football preview magazine section here. Hamilton Poole in the podcast review said, do we ever think we're going to see Paul Johnson coach again? Hamilton, I don't think it's going to be at the Power 5 level. I could see him coaching at the G5 level. The reason I don't think it's going to be at the Power 5 level is because I don't know that there's any program out there that feels like making themselves a special preparation requires them to go down the triple option route. Special preparation, of course, meaning, as we talk about sometimes, understanding that you're at a slight disadvantage, maybe like you're in a major conference. Let's say you're in the Big 12. And let's say you're Kansas State. And let's say you look yourself in the mirror and you say, well, we can't do things like Oklahoma's doing. We can't do things like Texas is doing them, if Texas is ever right, and hope to compete. They just have too many built-in advantages. So we think we can compete, but we got to do something different. Oregon, of course, under Chip Kelly, perfected this blueprint in the Pac-12 once upon a time. So I could see a program thinking that way. Many of them think that way. I just don't think it's going to be popular enough these days for someone to say, what about the triple option? Let's run the triple option. No one wants to go down that path because they think the ceiling is so low. However, at the G5 level, for many different reasons, I think it could be a possibility. And of course, you always know that service academies do that. I mean, Paul Johnson came from Navy. So who's to say that he never returns to one of the service academies? Let's see, moving on here, B Frank 14 podcast review section. Again, thank you guys for these podcast reviews. Some of you just leave a comment and no question. I appreciate those two. I read every single one of them. B Frank says, thoughts on possible conference realignment in the next round of TV deals. As an Ohio State fan, I'd be interested in seeing 
Texas and OU joined the Big Ten. Well, you and me both, be frank. Now, I've always pontificated, if you will, that when we have conference realignment, I've always seen it as Big Ten adds a couple more teams, SEC adds some more teams, ACC adds some more teams, and then the Pac-12 and Big 12 merge in some shape, form, or fashion to round out four super conferences. But that's not etched in stone. And as you know, remember the last round of expansion we had? Remember how it changed hour to hour? Remember how it seemed like every morning you were waking up and some Texas website was reporting, here's what's happening today. Here's where the winds are blowing in Texas today. It seemed like Texas was kind of precipitating everything. But the point is, it was the most fluid situation I ever remember. So you couldn't predict things 24 hours ahead of time in regard to how they actually turned out. So certainly there's no specific skill in predicting where UT and OU would go. You think that stay in the same conference, obviously, but there's no way to predict that. However, you put Texas and Oklahoma in the Big Ten. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's what I'm watching on Saturday. Uh, Cockyball96 had a lot of nice things to say and then a question. I appreciate the nice comments, by the way. Favorite memory attending any sporting event? What separates that from the others? I'll give you two of them. One, for very different reasons than the other. In 2008, I, uh, I was trying to make a point to go to all the Iron Bowls. I was trying to go to rivalry games. So I was at the Iron Bowl in 08. That's the first time Bama beat Auburn in quite a while. It was Saban's second year there. And Saran Stacy, who played at Alabama once upon a time, they honored him before the game. And if you don't know his story, I encourage you to look it up. Saran Stacy had a terrible car accident and lost his wife and lost a child. Um, bad, bad, bad situation. And they honored him before the game. And I remember it was like everyone there was kind of uh, excited slash nervous because, I mean, it was one of those deals where they haven't beaten Auburn in so long. It's like, I think we're going to. I mean, we're favored by double digits, but, ooh, boy, it's been so long. Like, could this happen to us again? Could things go wrong again? And then they honored Saran Stacy. And you would expect a guy who's been in such a tragic accident and lost, I mean, almost everything in life that he loves, you would think he'd be very subdued and it would be somber. And it was for a second. And then he got that crowd about as motion as, as emotionally stirred up before a game as I've ever seen. It was like a strength coach all of a sudden came out in him and uh, he just starts jumping around, man. He got that entire place hyped. He took the honorary football they gave him and chunked it in the stands. And I had tears in my eyes. That doesn't happen very often. So that I remember. And then ironically, Alabama's in the other one too, because it was I was on the field for this one, a very obvious second and 26 national championship game. You can't imagine it. You just can't imagine it. To see it happen in real time and to know in real time, well, I pulled out my phone and just started recording, but to know in real time, man, something's happening. Like you are a part of something well, in some small way. You're on the field as something as historic as anything that's ever happened in this sport in your lifetime is occurring. And that was in Atlanta, Georgia. And I was only working an hour down the road at the time, but we didn't leave that place, Mercedes-Benz Stadium, as I recall, until daybreak the next day. Just didn't want to leave. It was so surreal. There was no element of time that night. I was in Georgia's locker room after the game because I covered Georgia. I was in Alabama's locker room after the game because I cover Alabama. And uh, such a dichotomy to see the heartbreak 
And I'll tell you one guy I had a ton of respect for already, but one guy, especially that night was Nick Chubb. You know, I've told you, I'm not a proponent of us being allowed in college locker rooms, but you are in those settings. And so, you know, it's your job to do, you go in there and do it. And I was in there talking to players and um, man, you're talking about just emotion beyond description, not necessarily the emotion you want to see on guys' faces. And uh, guys like Nick Chubb, you know, everyone crowds around him, everyone. And he stood there like an NFL veteran and answered every question as respectfully as he possibly could be. And, uh, you know, I was there the year before. No, I was there the month before in that same building when that Georgia team had beaten Auburn for the SEC championship. I cover both of those teams. I was in both of those locker rooms. And it's always crazy. It's such a unique situation, first off, normally you're there to cover one team. And I had multiple championship games in that same season where I was there to cover both teams and I was in both locker rooms. And man, it's so unique to see the heartbreak and the joy. And that's just because you really lack a word in the English language to describe what those locker rooms are like for totally opposite reasons. But you, you'll be hard pressed to ever beat that second 26 play. Oh boy. You, you, you can't even imagine it, man. Cannot even imagine it. Let's move on here. Uh, all right, Reg, I just wanted to mention this. Reg326177 asked about what LSU needs to do to become a Tier 1 team. Reg, I answered this on the Sunday night edition of Late Kick Live, so you'll want to go check that out on the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel. Uh, when you go there, by the way, if you're looking for our stuff, if you look, you know, we've got playlists on that channel. And so the top playlist is just in order the latest videos that we've produced on that channel. But then we have playlists. So the late kick playlist, I think, is the second line that you see. And that's just all of our content we put out. Under the under us, we have the Barton and Bud show. And that's Barton Simmons and Bud Elliott. And they do a great job. They have their own podcast. I would encourage you guys to go listen to that too. So that's where you can find our content in case you were unaware of that. Moving on, Joe 111 on the podcast review section. If the SEC expanded, who would be their targets? Joe, I wrote some down. I don't have any inside information on this. I know North Carolina has been a name that's been rumored. Oklahoma was a name that was rumored this last time around. Virginia Tech, I think mainly for TV market reasons. Virginia was a name that some people whispered about, as was Clemson, as was Miami. You can come up with good reasons and not good reasons for these, and you could possibly include some more. Those are just the ones I'd have my eye on. You spoke, and uh, we're moving on now, Jake, our CEO, podcast review. You spoke about the emerging role of graphics departments in college football. What sort of role does analytics and data science play in college football and at 24-7? At 24-7, Jake, I can tell you a heavy one, and I'm involved in that, and I look at it every morning. Now, I'm mainly running the video side of things, and even more specifically, our YouTube channel. Just phenomenal growth. I mean, phenomenal growth. You guys have really outdone yourself. I, we don't give ourselves a lot of pats on the back because we're not the ones watching our content. You are. It, we're just skilled enough to listen to you and know what you want and try and give you what you want. As for the college football side of things, obviously, data science and analytics play a huge role there too. It's my belief this is why it's become more possible for younger head coaches to succeed immediately. Think about this for a second. Let's say you are um, Lincoln Riley or let's say you're Ryan Day, Kirby Smart. These are all guys 
whose first head coaching jobs were at top five, top 10 programs, conservatively, depending on how you view them, but at least top 10 programs, I would argue top five. And um, you, let, let's say you were to tell your grandpa that happened. So your grand or, or dad, just tell your dad that who, who's living in 1980, tell him, hey, there's going to come a day where guys are going to have their first head coaching job at Georgia and Ohio State and Oklahoma. And it won't be because those programs have faded away. They'll still be really, really big programs. This is just the way it's going to happen. Imagine that because that was a day and age. And you can fast forward past 1980 until very recently. It was such that you had to cut your teeth at a Mac school or somewhere like that or an FCS and then work your way up to a lower tier G5. And then maybe you get like, and this is no knock on these programs, but maybe you lock down a job at like an Oregon state, somewhere like that. And you got to prove yourself there. And then maybe you can move up, but it takes several, several rungs on the ladder. Well, now it's not like that anymore. What does this have to do with data and analytics? Well, think about this. What was it that you were really gaining? You were gaining experience. You were gaining wisdom. That's what you were gaining through knowledge that you had acquired. Imagine what you have at your fingertips today. Imagine what Kirby Smart can do in one afternoon if he really sets his mind to it at Georgia. He could expose himself through data science and through analytics. And let me also throw this in, advances in film study technology. He could expose himself to, in one afternoon, what it would have taken years to accumulate, quite literally, a couple of decades ago. And I'm talking about, obviously, data and analytics reports, trends, all kinds of sports science information about your players, as well as watching actual reps on film. If you want to know what predominantly four and five wide set type offenses are doing on third and four to eight in the third quarter of games in October, you could know that within one minute. You could have it pulled up within one minute. Understand what you would have had to do to gather that kind of meticulously detailed information a generation ago. So what does this do? Well, it pumps. It's like take, it's like the difference between the amount of liquid you could get through a straw versus a fire hydrant. You have a fire hydrant of information now. And if you harness it the right way, then you could rocket yourself up to the top because now Everyone has that capability, so it doesn't so much come down anymore to how much knowledge can you acquire. It's how well can you lead people? Because if you've got the leadership skills, the football stuff, and I say stuff respectfully, is so much easier to obtain in 2020. Good question there. I love Bryce Young in the podcast review. Guess what this question is going to be about? What's more likely? Bryce Young starting by the Georgia game or by October? Well, I think I'm going to hedge my bet and say October. Bryce Young, of course, is the number one player in the 24-7 sports composite player ratings for this last recruiting cycle. Obviously, that makes him the number one quarterback in the country, too. He's out of uh, Modern Day High School, a school that I badly mispronounced for years, Mater D. Mater D High School, not so fast. Modern Day High School, powerhouse program out there. Going to be a stud. It's a matter of if, not when. However, because they lost spring at Alabama, I don't think he's starting the season. I don't think he's going to start the Georgia game. Uh, by October, I don't know, because what are, we, what are we asking here? 
it's going to be kind of weird. And, you know, Mac Jones is not a bad quarterback. Mac Jones is not a placeholder. Mac Jones is a very good quarterback. Mac Jones is good enough to win a national championship at Alabama. Okay, that's how good a quarterback I think he is with the surrounding cast he'll have. So what is he going to do to lose his job? Is Bryce Young without spring going to be that much better? Because keep in mind, now I don't know that Saban's the same coach now as he was in 2017, but in 2017, this was a guy who allowed Jalen Hurts to start an entire year ahead of Tua Tonga-Vailoa when people were whispering Tua's the better quarterback, and it ended up being true, which is opposite of what the case is most of the time when people are whispering. So we'll see there. Baseball Nut 6 in the podcast review. Out of the Tier 1 programs, which is most likely to fall off like Florida State did a few years back, let me first say, I have LSU as a tier one program right now. Now, I know that some of you were as, or you were responding rather to the Sunday night show and you said, how can you have them as a tier one program? They only just now won a national championship. Before that, they weren't on that level. I know that, but I think so much changed last year that if I'm looking at them from this point moving forward, I think they're at tier, I think they're at tier one level for a while. Having said that, I think the answer here is LSU with the caveat that I don't think any of them are falling off like FSU did a few years back. The reason I say LSU is because even though I don't believe this, I guess it's possible that last year was a one-hit wonder and they lost so much and could never return to form anywhere close to resembling what they did last year. That's a possibility. It's a much bigger possibility than Clemson falling. I don't know what they'd even trip over in the ACC. Ohio State, that's a machine that's just speeding up. Alabama's a machine that has been going that fast for a long time. You could probably say, what if Saban retired or something like that? I don't think that's happening in the next couple of years. So I guess LSU is the answer. But understand, I think some of these programs have detached themselves. You know, it's kind of like a hot air balloon and they've thrown all the sandbags out. There's nothing holding them down now. So I don't, honestly, I don't know that it's happening at all. Next up, Huggins24, still in the podcast review section. Considering the Big Ten, ACC, and Big 12. Which of those conferences is most likely to crown a champion not named Ohio State, Clemson, or Oklahoma? So Ohio State, Clemson, Oklahoma, they are the overwhelming favorites, respectively, to win their conferences. Which one of those conferences is most likely to produce a champion not from that group? Well, you got to either think, basically what you're asking is, is Texas in the Big 12, Penn State, Michigan, Wisconsin, and the Big Ten, North Carolina, and the ACC. Those look to be the biggest challengers in those respective conferences. I guess I'd go with the Big Ten and Ohio State, and that's only because there are more capable teams up there. Like there are Penn State, Michigan, Wisconsin. It wouldn't just shock me out of this world if you were to fast forward to December and one of them has won this thing. And I wouldn't be shocked at Texas winning the Big 12. I'd be pretty surprised at North Carolina winning the ACC. Not shocked, but surprised. However, they're just more contenders in the Big 10. So I'd say the Big 10 is more likely. Gunner, 955, podcast review. Miami roster and potential this year. Gunner, this is another one I want to kick down the road until camps have opened or practice. I don't know what we're going to call this this year, but I want to kick that one down the road just a little ways. So hang in there on that one. Rob, in the email inbox, Josh, for those of us not in the media, what is it like to be recruited to your new 24-7 job? Well, it was an honor, Rob, and it was very unexpected. I would say every time I've been 
given an opportunity in this particular business, it's been unexpected, which is why I always encourage younger kids, if I'm talking to them and they're asking about career advice, it's imperative to understand in this business, and this really translates to pretty much any business, especially if it's a performance-based business. You are auditioning every single day for a job. And that is what you have to tell yourself on days you're not feeling it. Everyone can be in the zone when they're focused and they're in a good mood and they're riding the high and they've been getting good numbers or whatnot. What about when you feel like trash and you just missed a bill payment and you got an overdraft fee hanging over your head and you got problems at home and the last thing you want to do is go to a radio show. How are you doing that day? Because that could be the day someone's passing through town and happens to turn on the dial and they're listening to you and they are in a position to hire you. So that's what happened to me in radio to back up for a second. I was in radio and guys, the only reason I was in radio is because the guy who was the program director at the radio station heard some of my work that I was doing just on my own, not even broadcasting anywhere, just on my own. So that was the first step of unexpected advancement. And I'm on the radio and a general manager from a TV station after a couple of years calls me up out of the blue, never met him before, said, hey, been listening to you for about a month. Want to offer you a job here. Want to give you your own college football TV show five nights a week. Ding, ding, ding. Got there, advanced a few years. I've already told this story, but end up being able to produce my own college football content there. And lo and behold, the CEO of 24-7 Sports, Shannon Terry, calls me up. I famously sent that call to voicemail first time because I didn't recognize the number. Telemarketers, they'll get you. Well, he's not a telemarketer, at least not that I know of, and certainly not his day job. So I called him back and he said, man, I was watching your stuff and I, I want to hire you. So you can imagine, Rob, I mean, I was not being paid very much at all to do that show in Columbus, but yet it was an audition. Every single show was an audition. And so to answer your question, what was it like? Well, it was a thrill. And it felt like something that came out of the blue, but really it was something that had been growing for a number of years. The Chinese bamboo story. If you're not familiar with that, read it. Uh, there, there are different perceptions of how success happens and it never happens all of a sudden. Meaningful success does not happen all of a sudden. It may look to you on the outside like someone all of a sudden caught their big break, but without the years of grind they had put in on the front end, would they have ever been in position to benefit from it? If the answer is no, then it didn't happen all of a sudden. So that's kind of the way I look at that, Rob. Oh, let me adjust here. Will on the YouTube channel. Auburn has a schedule change this year. Uh, a lot of people in the SEC do, by the way. I don't know that you guys fully realize this, but it's going to look different down here this year. But Will's talking about Auburn. He said LSU is at home in late November and Georgia game is in week six. Could this difference have any influence on the result in Auburn's favor. Also, you may not be allowed to say anything about this, but uh, you know, Will, Will, you know the question you asked, and no, I'm not allowed to say anything about that. Uh, but your third question I can talk about. Finally, what's your favorite episode of The Office? Let me work backwards. My favorite episode of The Office is Stress Relief Part 1. Can't remember what season it's in. Stress Relief Part 1. It is the first episode of whatever season it's in, I think. Don't quote me on that. Oh, what an episode. You can ask me office questions all day. I'll be happy to answer them. Now back to the Auburn question. No, I don't think this is going to work in Auburn's favor at all, Will. It is a change, but I don't think it's going to work in Auburn's favor. Here's the reason. 
Auburn schedule is insanity. The Auburn job is the hardest job in major college football, major college football, hardest job. Here's why. The goal there is a championship. Here's what they have to go through. If they were to win a national championship or play for one, their final five games would be LSU, Alabama, SEC championship game, college football playoff semifinal, national championship game. Those are five games in a row against top three or four caliber teams that they'd be having to beat. Because think about it, Will. You, you, you know, you said, well, Georgia, they don't have to play them late in the year. Well, yeah, they do. If they get through the West, they do. They just go to Atlanta to play them. So how about a three-game stretch? If you're going to win the SEC championship game, how about a three-game stretch where in all likelihood you have to beat LSU, Alabama, Georgia back-to-back-to-back? No off week. You want to know why I argue that the G5 and the P5 aren't playing the same sport? You're going to have G5 teams that don't go through that collective struggle in a decade. Auburn does it in the span of three weeks this year, maybe. It's insane. Moving on. DGolfer60 on YouTube. Do you ever take a minute to look back at transfers and evaluate if they made a good or bad decision and if the move helped or hurt their draft stock? i.e. Jalen Hurts leaving Bama hurt his, and as it turns out, Alabama's chances to win a national championship last year, but his move to Oklahoma and performance and a new system probably helped his draft stock. And he mentioned Shea Patterson too. Yeah, I do think about this, but I also, I don't know that I agree with you that Jalen Hurts, I think what you're saying is him going to Alabama hurt his draft stock or him maybe staying at Alabama a year. I don't think that hurt his draft stock at all. I think it showed incredible character, fortitude, mental toughness, every intangible you could ever want to know about Jalen Hurts you learned before he went to Oklahoma. And then he showed you any remaining skills that you had doubts about at Oklahoma. I don't necessarily know that it hurt him. Now, there are some players who do get hurt by it. Shea Patterson, I just didn't. I never saw his physical ability as being five-star caliber. I'm not on the ratings council here, but I never thought of him like that. And I certainly didn't think him going to Michigan was putting him in a position where the system around him was going to allow him to shine. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. David on Twitter. You've said that the root cause of a program's dysfunction is often the AD, the athletic department, excuse me, not pulling in the same direction. What are the possible directions that administrators can pull? What's the wrong direction? Most importantly, for what reason do rational people not pull in the right direction? Is it incompetence? No, David. A lot of these guys are very smart. 
It's power. It's control, influence, and power. I've experienced this before, not firsthand. I've never had enough money to uh, have this kind of power that I could wield, but I've witnessed this before. Here's how it works. You got a lot of folks who grow up and they've got an attachment to a program, university. And as they grow older, they make sound business decisions and financial decisions and life decisions, career, whatever. And they get themselves a little bit of wealth and they use that wealth to acquire status and notoriety with the athletic department of maybe major university. I'm just going to pick one out of the hat. Let's say Tennessee. I'm not speaking about Tennessee specifically. Let's just say Tennessee. And so over time, they build a lot of influence and their currency is not so much anymore how the team's doing. It's how much power and influence they have. Texas has been famous for this for a while. Alabama before Saban was like this. So here's what happens. What happens is when it's time to make a move, when it's time to make a decision, uh, like for instance, with Alabama, when it was time to get rid of Mike Shula, a lot of them didn't like that. They didn't like it, not because Alabama was winning. Alabama couldn't beat Auburn to save their life at that point. We already talked about that earlier today. But Shula was a guy who ran a program that was such that they had a lot of influence. They had a lot of power. And here's the sad reality. A lot of these folks, not a lot, some of these, there are enough people that would rather go 7-5 and five and have a ton of stroke than go 12-0 and 0 and just have their check cash, but not really have a whole lot of influence. Now, that may make you sick to your stomach as just a casual season ticket holder or a fan who sits at home and watches every Saturday, and you don't get to see this happening behind the scenes, but that's what happens. And here's the problem. If you come in as a head coach, they're the ones who hired you. They're the ones who had to fit the bill to hire you in a lot of cases. So unless you are Nick Saban, who had the gravitas to come in and say, you're either going to shut up and get out of the way or disassociate yourself from this program, or I'm not going to be here. Unless you can do that, and not many can, you may have a lot of folks pulling in a lot of different directions. And the way they're pulling is in the direction of them. That's the wrong direction to be pulling. Robert on YouTube. I'm wondering how you think the arrest of Tennessee running back and leading rusher Tim Jordan will impact the ball's run game next year. Yeah, Robert, I talked to someone about this today. I'm going to take a wait-and-see approach on this. And the reason is we got a, a marijuana charge and a gun charge here was, I think, how I read it. Um, I've been on vacation again, so I've been a little bit out of pocket. But I just want to see how Jeremy Pruitt decides to handle it. I mean, you got an entire extended fall camp coming up. It could be that they decide there are plenty of ways they could structure things to where he could earn the right to be back in very good standing. Uh, to be honest with you, that's what I've always preferred as a method of punishment. But we'll see about that. If he's not available, I think what stands out the most is he's not a true freshman. This is an upperclassman that you hope setting an example, and instead this happens. So let me uh, let me take a little while and see how that plays out. Luke on YouTube, who do you think is DBU and why? Ohio State. And I'm going to tell you why. Because they produce the most NFL talent, and their players have done the most in the NFL. I don't care who has the most T-shirts. I don't care who prints out the most fancy posters. They look good. And it's not like LSU doesn't belong right in the conversation or Alabama or uh, Florida State could be up there, but there's no program that's done it better over the last decade and a half than Ohio State. Just point blank. 
James on Twitter, what do you think is holding Auburn back from becoming a tier one program? Why can't they sustain success when they have to do it? Well, they're in truly shark infested waters. They're just, I mean, they're, they're in the same state. They are two hours down the road from the greatest dynasty in the history of college football. The fact that they have managed to be pretty successful during that stretch is a testament to me. It's why Malzahn, I think, is one of the most underrated head coaches in America. Who else is able to do that at the same time as Nick Saban's doing what he's done in Alabama? When you look throughout history and you've had a major program go on a run that even remotely compares to what Alabama's done now, look at what their rival did in that same stretch. It's very lopsided. The Alabama-Auburn rivalry has not been lopsided. It has not. Alabama's got the slight edge, but there is no other head coach aside from Ed Orgeron in the SEC who has beaten Nick Saban in a football game. Think about what I just said. Orgeron only did it this year. So until November of this year, there was no other active head coach in this conference who had beaten Saban. Malzahn had done it multiple times. But at the same time, I mean, as long as he's there and Kirby is at Georgia and Orgeron and LSU are doing their thing, it's just very hard. If you're not already there, it is very hard to become a tier one program. I, I'm not going to say impossible, but it would be very hard. Murder Giraffe on YouTube. Have you considered doing an Ask Me Anything on the college football Reddit or Reddit college football? Uh, let me just say yes on this. We're working on some things. A lot of you, one of the reasons I've told you before that I leave my inbox open I encourage you guys. It's not like I have a million dollars worth of collected salary that I can pay you, but I encourage you guys. If you think you have a skill, if you think you can help us out, you get in that inbox and you let me know. I've I've done that before with people. I have taken help like that before. So uh, some the reason I tell you that is because a Reddit specialist recently reached out. We're going to see what he can do with that. Gage on YouTube. Dylan Brooks rating was lowered to a four-star after he committed to Tennessee. Do you think recruiting services have a bias against certain schools? Us Vol fans have a running joke about that. I can't speak to any other recruiting service but 24-7. It's the only one I've worked at. I can tell you categorically, point blank, no, there is no bias against certain schools and there is no bias for certain schools. This, I know, gets laughter from a lot of people. Some of you may be laughing right now. So hold on. Let me wait a second. Most of you have calmed down 90%. Okay, now you've all stopped. Excuse me. There was one more. Yeah, you stop laughing. Okay, all right, here we go. All right, now we're all back. I know why you think this. And I understand the reasons. And you just got to take my word for this. I have absolutely no reason to lie to you here because as I told you, I'm not on the council. I'm not involved. I've never given a kid a star rating in my life. I am not involved, but I observe it. They are so meticulous. They are so detailed. They are so process oriented in the way that they go. And by they, I mean the ratings council, the way they go about scouting and evaluating and then evaluating their evaluations I'm telling you guys, it has nothing to do with where they think a kid's going or where he's committed. And well, this website did a whole lot of traffic. So let's reward them with bumping their recruits up. It's nothing like that. Nothing at all. And I think what you'd find 
is for every one rating cycle update where it seems like a disproportionate number of your commits may have dropped. Go back throughout history, go back throughout five, 10 years, and you're going to be shocked to find, or maybe not shocked to find, things even out in the long run. There is no conspiracy. The conspiracy is to get it right. Because if you are truly implementing bias at the expense of getting it right, that's how you expose yourself in the long term. And I know these folks, they're not about to do that. Jay on YouTube. Josh, even though Kyle Trask is going to start at quarterback for Florida, what role do you see Emory Jones playing this year? Jay, to keep it short and sweet, a fairly impactful one. I'm trying to think of maybe a correlation to make, and I don't know, only because I don't remember necessarily us seeing Dan Mullen in this situation before. His offense probably this year, being Dan Mullen, probably looks a lot different than it's been. I think it's a welcome change for many of you Florida fans. But Emory Jones... When you talk to people at Florida, they just tell you, A, it's Trask's team. B, Emory Jones is too good to keep off the field. So I think he's worked in there in a multitude of different ways. Bryce, email. Frequent listener to the show. Great work. Here's my question. I'm trying to compare Michigan to an SEC team relative to on-field play, record, and recruiting. I came up with Florida. Do you agree? Also, how much should I look into a crystal ball from Steve Wolfong? Uh, the crystal ball is basically a forecasting feature here. If you're unfamiliar with it, I suggest that you get familiar with it. And we have lead experts on any given prospect. And those lead experts are identified as the three or four. I think we have five guys on each prospect who are closest to his recruitment. Steve Wolfong is the best in the business. I deal with him on a weekly basis, several times a week. There is no one plugged in more in the world of college football recruiting than Wilt Fong. Talks to several head coaches a day. Talks to dozens of kids per week, maybe per day, to be honest with you. He is a machine. I don't know that he sleeps. I don't know what his other hobbies are. I don't know what he does in his free time. I don't know if Steve has free time. I just know that guy eats, sleeps, and breathes this business. And you should very much take into account where he's forecasting a kid to go because I have more than once in the past month heard them point blank, tell him where they're going. And he has to pretend like it's a surprise. That's the struggle for Steve to pretend like he's surprised when one of these kids does something. As for the first part of this question, I agree with your Michigan, Florida comparison. I agree with that. You've got head coaches trying to get over the hump of a major foe. their their arch rival in their way in their own division. You've also got, quarterback play that you hope, and at Kyle Trask's case with Florida, I think it's there this year. If it's going to be there, it's going to be this year. And with Michigan, you're still probably looking to the future with J.J. McCarthy being committed right now. But offensively, I think by and large, these are programs where they feel like we just need more. We need more juice out of the squeeze, especially when we look at what other programs are doing. But at the same time, you got to be careful when you're judging these programs, they're not bad. They're not four and eight. They're not even eight and four. Like these have been New Year's six caliber teams. These have been New Year's Day bowl kind of teams. So they're not bad. They remind me. I I think you're right here. They remind me a lot of each other. Jeremiah on Twitter, wondering what your thoughts are on Utah this upcoming season. I'm going to do the same thing with this I did with Miami. I want to wait for the deeper dive at a team-based level 
until I get some word out of camps. I guess that's fair. I mean, I could BS you for two minutes, but some would argue I do that enough and others would argue, yeah, I'd rather you just kick it down the road a little bit. Steve in the email inbox, do you think the long-term effect of the transfer portal will negatively impact recruiting in the long run? If a team becomes dependent on developing a championship program with a missing piece or two by recruiting through the transfer portal, what's the incentive for quality high school recruits to commit to that same type of program? Steve, this is interesting. And you got to strike a healthy balance. Here's what Steve's saying. He's saying, if you got a team that every year seems to bring on two or three or four impact guys to the transfer market, eventually won't high school kids look at that team and say, if I go there, I mean, chances are I could just get my spot covered up two or three years in to my career by a transfer. And then what am I going to do? So I listen, I mean, one way you can look at that is competition's competition. We're going to add talent by any means necessary. If you don't like it, this place isn't for you. And I don't have a problem with that, to be honest with you. But at the same time, you could also have to deal with negative recruiting. You could also have a program that's done it, as you would probably call it, the more traditional way, and they rarely take transfers. They could walk into your living room, Steve, if you're a recruit, and say, well, so you're down to us and them, huh? Well, look at what we've done. Kids who have come here have been the ones who have played for us out of high school. There. Oh, yeah, some have made it, but I mean, look at this, 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 and this example. And these are examples of guys who went there. They did everything right. And then transfers came from Arizona State and Washington and Michigan State and took their jobs. So you're always having to look over your shoulder there. Now, I'm not necessarily the biggest fan of that recruiter, recruiting approach, but it could happen. So I think the best thing to do is do it the old-fashioned way. And then sprinkle in transfers instead of relying on them every single year. Dennis, in the email inbox, with everyone having gone through shelter in place for 60 days, do you see injuries being more of a factor this season? In a typical year, they have three months of in-house training and stretching and spring games to get their bodies ready. That won't happen this year. Does that mean deeper programs like LSU, Bama, Clemson, Georgia, Ohio State, will they have an advantage? Well, they always have the advantage, Dennis. Make no mistake. I don't care if you have five years of preparation. The deeper teams always have the advantage. I personally don't think this changes the sport all that much when you zoom it out. From a macro level, I don't think it changes all that much because here's what we know. It seems like pretty much everyone, you know, unless you have like a Clemson who got their entire spring practice in or well, they got what they get like 11 or 12 in. So some programs got more spring ball than others in, but really by and large, no one has a disproportionate advantage here. Like it seems like everyone's roughly planning on opening things up near the same time and everyone's going to have enough lead up time. So any problems you have, someone else is just as likely to have. And that means everyone enters the season roughly on the same footing. Again, macro, not micro. You could have an isolated situation that differs. But from a macro level, Dennis, if you and I go into the season the same way as we normally do, and my roster is 20% deeper and more talented than yours, I'm 20% more likely to be in a better situation than you are, just like I would be in a normal year. So I, I think that maybe if injuries are a problem, they are a problem on average throughout the entire sport. 
And it could be that one team has a disproportionate number of freak injuries that could have happened any given year. But I don't think it's going to be a problem where all the teams that are thin get banged up and all the teams that are deep are healthy. I don't think it's going to be any, I don't think really it's going to be any different than a normal season. All right. That's all we have for this week. Again, it's kind of a shortened week. I'm on vacation, but Hey, I mean, we can't be missing podcasts, so no vacation there. I really appreciate you guys listening again. Let me just remind you, I don't beg and plead very often, but I will do it here. You guys have done so, so good. You know this podcast did not exist three months ago. I mean, Late Kick at 24-7 did not exist three months ago. We've started it here from scratch, and we've gotten really, really good numbers. And let me just tell you, when you guys ask, dozens of you per week ask this, how can we help? How can we help? Five-star reviews on our podcast review section. Written reviews also include your question in the written review if you want to get it answered here. Those are like gold to us. Also, follow me on Twitter, at LateKickJosh. Hope you're writing this all down or pausing so you can go do each. At LateKickJosh on Twitter. I have a really fun time going back and forth with you guys. I keep my DMs open, direct messages open all week. I read everything that you send me. I reply to most of you with at least a thumbs up, if not more. And you can hit me on the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel with a subscription and clicking the bell, by the way, that bell icon which notifies you when we go live. Those are the ways that you can help us out. I'm preaching to the choir, I know, because you guys have done so much already for us. And just word of mouth, tell your friends. I mean, we're spending $0 and zero cents right now marketing this show, and it's still taking off. So keep in mind, uh, it's been a dead season. We haven't had spring ball. Guys, we have not had anything, and yet you've still been here in droves. So just think along with me. What's it like when August gets here? What's it like when we got two weeks until opening weekend? What's it like when they actually start playing football? Well, the answer is a lot of fun. That's what it's going to be like. And we'll finally have something to take our mind off every single other thing going on out there. And I know that'll be welcome for you as it will be for me. So until then, I got a lot to do uh, in the way of finishing vacationing. I will see you guys back in studio. The next time I see you will be Thursday night. If you're listening to this before Thursday, we're going to do a late kick live episode where I'm going to go really in-depth with Mario Cristobal. You guys will want to check out that interview. Check that interview out. And, of course, that'll be available as a podcast Friday morning. And then Sunday night, I'll be back in Nashville to do Late Kick Live. So that airs at 8 Eastern, 7 Central, Thursday and Sunday. Give us a review, five stars, written review. Take care of yourselves. God bless. I will see you guys later this week. Now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app.